Uh, last week, hopped back into the book of Romans. We're at chapter 12 when we began uh, uh, creatively in verse 1 last week. Uh, and that started by Paul saying to the believers there in Rome many years ago, Brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you. And if you remember, I said that Paul then gave this impassioned plea, a very urgent plea, one with a not kind of like, hey, if you have time, maybe you, could, you should give this just a little bit of a casual thought, just kind of suggesting this. He was passionately pleading with them. Basically, the word we, we wanted to leave you with was surrender, right? And that picture of surrender was that they would be presenting their bodies as a living sacrifice, and they would also uh, be allowing their, their minds to be transformed, their, their lives to be uh, transformed by the renewing of their minds, that they wouldn't conform to the world, but instead they would experience that metamorphosis, that transformation that comes through the renewing of the mind. And so uh, that, that passion in the first two verses uh, that Paul uh, uh, encouraged those, those ancient believers is one that is for us today. One of the things that we understand that, that comes, and there's certainly in the scripture, there are situational things that people who are inspired by God to write letters like Paul and Luke and others, uh, that, that, that those things that they were inspired by God to write, some of them are contextual and, and situation specific but so often they are these universal truths that are meant to inform and shape the body, not just in that moment of the ancient, in, in, in the ancient Middle East, but today for us. That's why we take time to, to read the word. That's why we take time to discuss the word, to study the word, to meditate on the word, and to teach the word. Because we believe that there is that, that abiding truth that exists for us in the body of Christ. The word uh, last week was surrender. The, the word that we're looking at today, which we're really not looking at the word, but we're looking at really the, the, the way in which it's lived out is koinonia. It's a word that I've said to you really describes, it captures for us. It's a Greek word that captures for us really what it means to live in community. You've seen this multiple times in the last couple of months. The word koinonia means oftentimes it's translated fellowship or association. It means community. It means intimacy. There's a, there's really, it's really a, a deep level of intimacy, not, again, a casual connection, but a deep level of intimacy, a joint participation, which implies that, that each one has a share in something. We're going to see that in the passage we look at today, and it is, in fact, the word that we, off, that, that we translate in our English Bibles, communion. And so when we practice communion, we actually are doing that as the collective body of Christ. So we're looking at really... Elements of, uh, uh, we could have called it Koinonia 101 or, or the fundamentals of Koinonia or intro to Koinonia. And that's what really this is about as we read those verses that are listed on the back of your notes. And so you can pick that up and follow along with me from there or on your device in your own Bible. I'm going to read verses 3 through 8 uh, from Romans chapter 12. So if you would follow along while I do that, that would be great. Paul says, under the inspiration of God to those believers in Rome many years ago and to us today, for by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly, as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Now, as we have many parts in one body and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. 
According to the grace given us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, let it uh, use it according to the proportion of one's faith. If service, use it in service. If teaching, in teaching. If exhorting, in exhortation. Giving with generosity, leading with diligence, showing mercy with cheerfulness. Let's pray for just a sec. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this reality that we embrace, that many years ago you spoke your word to your believers through your apostle, and we believe, God, that that, that abides today, that that stands today as, as the, that which guides us, that which shapes us, that which forms us. And so we pray, God, that as we take time to hear from you today through this this portion of your word that you would be our teacher. And it wouldn't be about, Lord, just a, um, a rudimentary or, or ritualistic observance of church attendance, but instead, God, that there would be a supernatural thing that happens here today, that you uh, unite us deeper with yourself and you change us more and more into the image of your son. We pray that, God, knowing that that work will be done by you. So we we open our minds, we open our hearts, we open our very wills to you to be shaped by you today. And we want you to have all the glory for that because you deserve it all. In Jesus' name, amen. So these, these ideas that emerge from these verses found in Romans 12 that we're looking at today are ones that, again, will help us to live more fully in koinonia with each other. And one of the ways in which we're able to do that is if we individually are healthy ourselves. And so if you notice, Paul says, I am speaking to every one of you, and what he wants each one of them to do is to make a very humble and wise assessment of their own being. There's a fourfold repetition of the, of the some form of the word phronane, which means to think, uh, root word for neo, to think. And so the emphasis on this is, is undeni- undeniable, unmistakable. Four different times in that one verse, Paul uses a variant of the word to think. And so he's really stressing that we must think rightly. It, the word means to be of sound mind. It means to be in one's right mind. It, come, it came to mean then to put a moderate estimate on oneself. The emphasis here is that Paul is saying we need to avoid too high an estimate of ourselves, and I think it's also probably okay for us to understand that in the same manner he doesn't want us to think too lowly of ourselves with some sort of false, like, overly self-deprecating humility. So he wants us to have this accurate view of ourselves. He says, by the grace given to me, and we're going to talk about grace and faith at the very end, but it is, uh, it is by that by which he's basing his apostolic authority is on grace. And so he says, by the grace given to me, I tell everyone. Some of your English translations might say each of you or all of you or every one of you. In other words, everyone needs to hear what I'm about to say. Because every one of you needs to have that humble, wise self-assessment. You see, as we begin, as more of us don't have that, lev- that healthy level or healthy view of ourselves, the less likely we are able to live in koinonia. The, the best way that we can 
fully give ourselves to someone else is that we first fully realize who we are in Christ. Like some of those truths that we sang about today, right? There's no fear that we're children of God, that God has declared us as such. As, and, and again, I'm not saying that means that we all have to have arrived at this level of perfection. That's not it because we're broken, we're sinful, we're hurting, all of that. But we need to have an accurate view of ourselves to be able to live in Koinonia. And so this is the first thing that Paul wants everyone among them to consider. Not to think of themselves more highly, but instead to think sensibly. This idea of uh, a sensible um, um, uh, self-assessment is that, again, another variant of that word phroneo, be, uh, put that moderate estimate on oneself, not thinking too high, but not, again, thinking too low. Seeing yourself as God sees you. And that's sometimes very difficult for us to do. Not only is it hard for us to see the world the way God sees it, to see, the, see other people the way he sees them. Remember that, and you've heard me say this on multiple times in my years here at Calvary, when Jesus saw people who were without him, he was broken inside over it, wasn't he? When he saw the people and how they were lost and harassed like, like sheep without a shepherd, he was, he was sickened and he had compassion on them. Sometimes it's very difficult for us to see people in that manner. We see them as sometimes annoyances, as trouble in our lives, as people who are going to take our time, our money, our energy. We can see people as an inconvenience. In the same way that we can not see the world the way God sees it, not see other people the way he sees them, it's oftentimes very difficult for us to see ourselves. I think that's why sometimes it makes us uncomfortable at times to say things like, I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. It almost sounds like pride or something, and that's not true. Again, that's why we need to be careful to not think too lowly of ourselves because God has declared you to be a child of his. He has declared you to be a saint, a royal priesthood. These are the words. These are not Dave's words for you. This is God, divine adjectives to describe you. And sometimes we shrink back from that. I think because that in some ways we think that's somewhat foreboding. Wait, I'm a child of God. I'm a saint. I'm part of a holy nation. I'm part of a royal priesthood. Little old me? Yes, you. And the way that we can best live in community is that we see ourselves just as God sees us. That's the sensible way to view ourselves. That's the sober way to view yourself. That's the way to be of right mind, to be of sound mind, and understand who you are, is seeing yourself as you are in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. Paul then continues, and we could probably spend like a lot of time here, right, on this whole idea of the way we view ourselves, and probably could be a whole teaching series around that. We're going to move on as, as he does in the letter, picking it up in verse 4. He says, now as we have many parts in one body and all the parts do not have the same function, Paul is making this point then. His point is this. There is a single body. One body, he says in that verse, right, in verse 4. One body. So we're, there is a single body and there are many pieces and many roles. And that's the, that's the incredible, and, and if, you're, if you're taking notes today and you, write, you want to write something down next to each of those, next to single body, you write the word unity. 
one body. We are unified. There is unity. Many pieces and roles, diversity. One of the great things uh, about the movement of God and developing the people of God is that we have so many things that would separate us, so many things that would divide us, so many things that would keep us apart, that would keep us from getting to know one another, that would keep us from giving our lives to each other. But then we have the power of the Holy Spirit and the grace of God and new life in Christ that allows us to cross boundaries of socioeconomics, to cross boundaries of ethnicity and race, to cross boundaries of whether we have a lot of education or not so much, to cross boundaries of gender, to cross each and every and each and every boundary that could possibly exist in this world and experience unity in Christ Jesus. It's one of the greatest miracles and celebrations. I love the fact that there are people that I have gotten to know on a really deep basis Beyond just a casual friendship, people that are so different than me that I never would have sought them out other than the fact that we are one in Christ Jesus. Our lives are blessed in an incredible way when we are exposed to a different kind of a human being than just what our race and gender and socioeconomic profile and educational attainment, all that kind of stuff would kind of make us naturally gravitate toward. Single body, many pieces and roles. So the idea of unity and diversity are both things are celebrated. And we try, I think we try to do that here at Calvary. We try to say that each one of you is important as an individual, but at the same time, there is this idea that the unity of the whole, right? We are more than just the sum of a bunch of parts. It's about a multiplicative exponential effect that as we come together, what we experience in that unity is an incredible thing as we live in this kind of koinonia. We want to be one body, but we want to recognize the many pieces and roles that exist. Paul says, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ, and check this phrase out, and individually members of one another. Not just, again, disconnected, separate people. Sometimes, some of you know this about me, sometimes like things like architecture and settings and, uh, and room environments, they bug me. Like this room environment bugs me. You know why? Because we're so disconnected. Like you're connected to maybe a girlfriend, a boyfriend, a good friend, or a spouse, a child, a parent right now. But it's just like, it's everybody sitting, looking at the back of the head in front of them, looking at me, and I'm looking back at you, and it's very linear and separated. Like, I know it's not real. Like, that's not the spirit of it, right? I get it. And I understand when you're trying to put a large group of people together and, and to do things, there, there are certain things that are, that are necessary. But this idea is we are members of one another. Like, we're connected. We're with this one big amoeba of broken people that need the grace of Jesus just to move along in life. I love that idea much more than, than the understanding like, I'm here, oh yeah, Paul Trulock is here and he's here with his family and over here, oh there's Adam and Chelsea are here and they're here with their family. But that's not real. Like in the spiritual realm, they're together, they're members of one another. In other words, they are deeply connected. We're invested in one another, we're connected to one another. And so that means what? You know, just to use two family examples that I just used, you know, when the true locks hurt, the Fords hurt. And when the Fords hurt, the Riddles hurt. And when the Riddles hurt, the Cormiers hurt. 
And when the Cormiers hurt, the Lundbergs hurt. And when the Lundbergs hurt, the Jippings hurt. Right? That's what it means. We're connected to one another. Your life impacts my life and vice versa. And it's not only just about the bad stuff hurting, right? When someone has joy, we celebrate with them. We don't immediately say, that's great for you, but let me tell you what's going on bad in my life. I understand sometimes it's appropriate, you know, you know but we want to allow, not think of our life as the most important thing. Not our needs being the most important thing, but we're connected to others. And so we, we weep together and we rejoice together. We pray together and we celebrate together. I don't want to embarrass her, so I won't say who it was. Because some people don't want to be like publicly recognized for the good things that they do, and I respect that. But a woman in our uh, church family was coming in from the, through the main office into my office. My office is kind of off the main office right now and kind of kind of in the back of that main office area. And I was coming in, and she was standing there. And I was like, oh, hi. And she's like, hey. And she's like, I left something on your desk for you. And it was just a little note. And on the outside of the note, it says, Dave, I prayed these things for you today. That's, that's connection, right? That's investment. I must mean something to her, right? Because she took her time to, and I, I know, because I know this person, I know she prayed those things. And it wasn't about her wanting to get some, you know, check mark from the pastor, gold star from the pastor, or anything like that. It was she wanted me to be encouraged. And many of you, okay, on occasion, I get, I get texts, I get cards, emails, praying for you, praying for you, praying for you. Got a text from a brother this week. Here, it goes to the church here. Hey, man, I was listening to Bob Duco talk about pastors and stuff and, and what they're facing today and just wanted to get, say to you, thanks for all you do. And that happens all the time in this body, right? You guys have those texts. You have those notes. You have those interactions. Why? Because we're connected, we're connected, and it makes a difference. We are individually members of one another because we are one body. Not only are we connected, but Paul also says we're gifted. This is different than talented. We have different gifts, and those gifts are given by the Spirit. So we're not talking about the... There, there are certain things that you are born with the natural ability to be able to do. Some of you are born with the natural ability to be able to play an instrument, to be able to be an excellent communicator, to be an athlete, to be a leader, all of those kind of things, all, whether it's something you know, more like with manual dexterity or something intellectually or something relationally, there are natural abilities that exist. Do those come from God to a certain degree? Yes, of course they come from God because God is the one in, in whose image we are created and he is, he is the author of that, of course. What we're talking about here, are those cert, it, it, what Paul's talking about here are the certain things that by the unique and gifting of the Holy Spirit, by the, gift, by the gift of, gifts given by the Holy Spirit, we have a supernatural ability to do and be certain things. So, if you would, just look, look at that list. Verse 6, according to the grace given us, we have different gifts. So it says, if, prophesy, if prophecy, use it according to the proportion of one's faith. If service, use it in service. If teaching and teaching, exhorting and exhortation. Giving with generosity, leading with diligence, and showing mercy with cheerfulness. 
Uh, some scholars have said there's kind of like two, two sorts of categories here. There's, there's kind of the speaking gifts. Those speaking gifts would be the prophesying gift, the teaching gift, and then the exhortation or encouragement. And then there's servant kind of gifts. There's serving, spe- said specifically, contributing or giving, uh, leading, and then uh, showing mercy. And interesting, as Paul begins this, this idea of prophesying, and prophesying in a general sense means to speak under divine inspiration, to speak under divine inspiration. So, so it would have referred to the, the, the biblical prophets, certainly, that, that, that's the understanding. But there also was kind of a, a, a secondary sort of, of prophecy that existed, not necessarily in, the, in biblical prophets, and probably what Paul is meaning here, which was a lesser sort of prophetic gift that would have also been a lesser, like a subsidiary to the biblical prophets, but also most likely subsidiary to the teaching of the apostles. It's interesting when you, when you think about it, as some scholars have suggested, the prophecy that was spoken in the, in the New Testament that Paul is mentioning here, were, these were words that to be weighed and tested, whereas the words that the apostles shared were to be believed and obeyed. Not that they were never to be uh, checked out, but there was this understanding that at, through apostolic authority, the way in which God had blessed the, uh, the apostles, they, that there was a, even an elevated sense of their teaching above that which was being uh, prophesied in the church at this time. It's interesting that this inspiration of the prophets, um, though, though was not seen as oftentimes as necessarily abiding forever, but that it would be one where the, the role of the apostles was one that was a permanent sort of functional role for them, prophesying could have existed in the church, might have become more sporadically, so to speak. And so it's interesting when he uses this description, he says, and you see it in your notes there if you look back, if prophecy, use it in according to the proportion or measure of one's faith. Now one particular uh, commentator and New Testament scholar, C.E.B. Cranfield, says this. This just kind of uh, shows you, I use this as an example to show you how oftentimes it's hard work to understand what the text actually means. And we have to do that hard work to, to really dive into it because sometimes in a casual reading in our English Bible, it doesn't leap off the page for us. Cranfield, in his very thorough analysis of the grammar of this particular passage, says, measure of faith. This is just one phrase in this text, right? Measure of faith. The word measure has seven possible meanings. The word of has two possible meanings, and the word faith has five possible meanings. So Cranfield says, there is then a 70 combinations possible as to what measure of faith might mean. <laughs> so when you think about, okay, that the prophecy is, is, a, is to happen according to the measure of one's faith, then this idea is, the main question, is whether the measure means here, as an in, whether it's an instrument of measuring or a measured quantity of something. So if it's the latter, that it's a measured quantity of something, many scholars think this is the case, then it would be that what, what Paul is saying is that God gives a varying amount of faith to different Christians and those who exercise the gift of prophecy, and since it's a divine appointment, this will keep us humble. Cranfield suggests, however, that metron, this is, this is the word for measure here, means a standard by which 
to measure ourselves. And that this, for all Christians, is the same. Why? It's the saving faith in Christ crucified. That's the measure of faith. And so only this gospel of the cross, indeed only Christ himself, who is, he, who is uh, all that we are, he is the only one that can enable, us, can enable us to measure ourselves soberly and to speak with any sort of authority. So again, when we think about the way in which Paul is writing to, this, to these ancient believers and writing to us today, it's very important for us to understand, and I'm not, I'm not suggesting that it could only be that way of understanding this, but it's very important for us to do the hard work so that we understand when, he, when Paul says, if prophecy, use it in according to the proportion of the faith given to us, then what does that actually mean for us so that we can exercise that in the church today? Moving on, again, many gifts. Speaking is the, and teaching is, is the word um, didasco. Exhortation is paracolette. Didasco, by the way, means teaching for transformation, not just to be heard, but so that the people that, whom you're teaching are changed by the power of the teaching. Exhortation is paracoleo, the same word that's used for the way in which the Holy Spirit comes alongside us to encourage us, to guide us in truth, to convict us of our sin. And so that's the, the idea of the, of the uh, paracoleo, of the of the exhortation. Service is the word diakonia, and that's the word from which we get our word deacon. In fact, Calvin's, uh, Calvin thought, John Calvin, um, the, the uh, great reformer, he thought that uh, it was in reference to the work of the deacons. I think there's probably a broader understanding of it, the, all those who function in service, not only the deacons, but it is the word uh, diakonia. Also then, the other giving, the serving gifts, giving, leading, and mercy. In, use, in those three gifts, Paul gives uh, kind of ways in which it should be done. So with giving, he says it should be genero- with generosity. Or uh, the word actually means sincerity or a single-mindedness with no pretense or hypocrisy. And so giving oftentimes has, uh, uh, can puff us up or can, we can do it with wrong motives. We can do it to, to sometimes to control things. And so Paul's saying that if you give, if that's your gift, then do it with, in, in the, with the right heart. Leading, he says, should be done earnestly or diligently. That's the way the word is. And showing mercy, kind of like in a funny way, he says, should be cheerfully. And the word for that is helerotes. You can hear, see what word we get in English out of it, right? Hilarity. If you serve, you should find it hilarious to do so. It should just be so much fun. And some of you know that reality, right? Some of you know that when when you're serving the needs of others, when you're showing mercy to the needs of others, when you're helping others with something that they can't do maybe and and you're helping them get it done or, or you're just coming alongside them in that way, you know how fun that is. And it's interesting that Paul, it's by the way, it's the only time that word exists in the New Testament. The only mention of hilarity in the New Testament, of course there's laughter and, and things like that, of course, but the only mention of this particular word hilarity as, as it relates to us who have the gift of showing mercy the way in which we should do it. In all of that, the way in which we use our spiritual gifts, the way in which we see ourselves, the way in which we're connected to one another, the image I'd like for you to have kind of burned in your mind is one of a mosaic. I like the idea of a mosaic to, to describe us in the body of Christ because one thing is this. 
A mosaic is made up of broken pieces, and I love the reminder that we're broken. A mosaic also is, if, if, I, if we could zoom in on one of those individual pieces, like, let's just pick a random piece right here. Is that piece in and of itself super beautiful? How about this piece right there? Is that piece beautiful? Or how about right there, right in her eye? Is that piece right there particularly beautiful? No. Just like a normal, little, you know, broken piece of pottery. That one, that one. And yet they come together, connected. And they're able to be something beautiful. Now, you may not like that picture, but you get the point, right? You might not like that particular mosaic. But the idea is God, by his grace, is able to connect us into this beautiful body where we celebrate that individual boring-looking piece like Dave Riddle. But we also celebrate the beauty that exists from all of us coming together and serving one another with the gifts that he has given us. In all of that, I want to suggest to you as we wrap up the talk time today that grace and faith are absolutely indispensable. It is by grace that Paul tells them what he's about to tell them. For by the grace given to me, he says right there in the first clause, right there in, in verse three, right? Paul might likely is mentioning there, by the grace given to me, not probably the grace that brought him salvation, but most likely he's talking about the grace that made him an apostle. Same thing, right? The same grace that allowed him to be, become a follower of Christ is the grace that placed him in this position of, a, of an apostle of Christ. So he refers to it's grace that, uh, by the grace given to me, is, is give, gives him that apostolic authority to be able to share these things. In verse 3, right, we saw that same thing, the end of verse 3. We, did, we talked about that a couple of minutes ago where God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. So the way in which we've received that measure of faith, the way in which we've embraced that truth of the gospel, that measure of faith that God has blessed us with enables us to think of ourselves appropriately and to exercise our gifts according to his will. Of course, that grace that bestows the gifts, we saw that as well, according to the grace given us. Again, it's not something that we're born with. It's not something that we invent. It's not our natural abilities. It's not something we learn, but it's by the grace given us we have these different gifts. In all of that, I would suggest to you that those three simple points are so essential to understanding what koinonia, living in koinonia is all about. I need to have a proper assessment of who I am. I need to recognize that I am one part of an incredibly diverse body that is beautiful and connected with each other. That I am called to in the way in which God has blessed me with spiritual gifts you, to use them for his, his glory according to the measure of grace that he has given me. In giving me those gifts, I exercise them. Why? Because I care about the body. So I live by grace. I live in faith, connected and gifted with an accurate, humble, good self-assessment so that it would help 
the entire body become that beautiful mosaic of people broken, connected, and serving together. I hope that in your life that you find this place, this thing that's called Calvary Baptist Church, not just a physical plant, not just a purveyor of religious goods and services, but I hope you find it to be an organic community of simple, humble, broken, saved people walking together with each other after the one who said to each of us and all of us, follow me, Jesus himself. Would you stand as we pray together? After I pray, the worship team is going to lead us in some closing songs of worship. So I invite you to, share, to join in with them as they do that. Heavenly Father, thanks so much for this, again, these words that you inspired Paul to write. They ring true for us today. And we don't want to just know what he said, God. We want to, yes, hear what you spoke through him and then do something about it, not just leave it here. And so God, we pray that if you're challenging us to have a more accurate view of ourselves, that we would spend time in honest reflection about that, and maybe even seek the help of others to help us better understand who we are. We pray that we would be willing to exercise the gifts that you've given us, and then we pray, Lord, that we would celebrate both the fact that we are one in Christ Jesus and that we exist in these many pieces and roles, many parts and functions. We pray, God, that as we, as we learn how to lean into that and, and walk in that reality more and more as a family, that you would bless us and that you would not unite us by the, by the power of your Holy Spirit in grace and faith and love. We pray those things in the name of Jesus. Amen.